Welcome to lesson two on the gifts of the Spirit. And this lesson is going to call, cover what we call the vocal gifts. We covered previously that the nine gifts of the Spirit can be broken down into three groupings. Three groupings of three gifts. The vocal gifts, the power gifts, and the revelatory gifts. And this being the vocal gifts, we're going to cover uh, the gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues, the gift of interpretation of tongues, because these are gifts that are manifestations or exhibitions of the Spirit that manifest vocally, and they declare something. We look here at our curriculum, because we have a lot to cover this morning. We'll begin with the vocal gifts. These are gifts uh, that the Holy Spirit manifests through an utterance. These vocal gifts are, as we have just said, prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And the Bible is very clear. Prophecy is the greatest of all these gifts. And so what we're going to do in the next few weeks with these is we're going to bog down and look at each of the nine gifts. And because seven of the nine gifts of the Spirit operate in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, we're going to look at both Old Testament examples and also New Testament examples. We're going to see what these gifts look like. One of the things we're going to see, which I think is so fascinating, uh, the Holy Spirit has been manifesting in the earth ever since man was here because the Holy Spirit is how God deals with man. The Holy Spirit is God. God is a spirit. There is the spirit of Christ, the spirit of grace. Uh, there's even teachings on what are called the seven spirits of God, and we don't have time to cover that. That's out of the Old Testament, and you see references of that in the New Testament in the Revelation. But what we see is that God has always been manifesting himself in the same way. And the neat thing is in the New Testament, because of the revelation of the progressive revelation that God gives his people, God begins to further distinguish how he's always done things. And once we see the manifestations of the Holy Spirit on this side of the cross in the church age, we can go back and look at the Old Testament and say, ah, that was prophecy. That was working of miracles. That was gifts of healing. That was special faith. So with our first gift, the greatest of the gifts, the greatest of the vocal gifts anyway, the gift of prophecy, we're going to look a lot at the Old Testament examples of prophecy. Now again, if you remember from last week's uh, teaching, we are to covet earnestly the best gifts. What is the best gift? The best gift is the gift you need in that moment. It's not always the gift you want, but it's always the gift that you need. But prophecy is called greater because it edifies everybody. So let's look here at the gift of prophecy at our curriculum. It says, some caution should be taken when defining prophecy. And this is because New Testament prophecy differs quite a bit from Old Testament prophecy. So let's look at Old Testament prophecy for a second. Let me also say this, and we may cover it again here as we teach. Uh, in the New Testament charismatic churches, and, and if you really don't want to know the truth, God would have every church to, quote, be charismatic. That is, God would have every church to have the gifts of the Spirit operating in them because the Bible says the gifts of the Spirit are given to every man to profit with all. So churches that don't have the gifts of the Spirit in them are not profiting like those that do. Now, there's other ways they profit, and just because you have the gifts of the Spirit doesn't mean you're as profitable as, say, a non-tongue-talking church, but you're missing out on something. God wants every church to be a Spirit-filled, charismatic church in that the gifts of the Spirit are free to manifest. What we want to see, though, is let's look at the Old Testament prophecy versus New Testament prophecy, and let's bring this further into focus. The Old Testament prophecy is a bit complex. Here in the New Testament church, in the gifts of the Spirit, we kind of have a, a hurtful habit, maybe not hurtful, maybe just ignorant habit, of calling every vocal thing that goes forth prophecy. 
but not every vocal thing that happens in a church service is prophecy. And that's what we're going to look at here. The Hebrew word uh, for prophecy literally means to bubble forth like a fountain, and therefore it's kind of understood as to speak under inspiration. And to that degree, some preaching, hopefully most preaching, could accurately be regarded as prophecy or as the adjective form, prophetic, because we really want all preaching to be inspired. We want all preaching to bubble forth out of the flow of God, out of the overflow of a relationship. If you spend any time in church, you can tell very quickly when a sermon is canned and when a sermon is under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. You can also tell very quickly when a preacher is called to preach and when he's just playing preacher because there lacks that, that bubbling forth, that element of inspiration. Old Testament prophecy, excuse me, uh, this, this was God, prophecy was God putting a word in the mouth of his oracles. And the Bible's very clear. He wants to be able to put a word in all of us to be able to speak forth prophecy, edification, exhortation, and comfort. Old Testament prophecy was often used to foretell future events. Now keep in mind, we're looking at Old Testament prophecy because this is somewhat different from New Testament prophecy. Old Testament prophecy was often used to foretell future events, including judgment and blessing, to give directions or instructions or to reveal hidden things. Now when we get to the lessons where we talk about the revelation gifts, the revelation gifts are discerning of spirits, word of knowledge, and word of wisdom. The word of wisdom is what we would call uh, the foretelling of things, seeing the future will of God, the wisdom of God for a future event yet uh, unknown or uh, uh, having not come to pass. Under the Old Covenant, and here's, here's kind of a simple way of seeing it. Under the Old Covenant, everything that was spoken by divine inspiration was called prophecy. It was just kind of lumped together. But in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit, through the apostles and prophets, revealed to us a further distinction. And so whereas under the Old Testament, everything was called prophecy, under the New Testament, that kind of springs forth and has offshoots. And so under the New Testament, we don't, it's not all prophecy. We have prophecy, we have word of knowledge, we have word of wisdom. Under the Old Testament, those three were lumped together. Prophecy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. Under the New Testament, again, I'm going to be very repetitive here so we catch it because this is a Bible lesson and we are studying, we're not preaching, we're giving you an exegetical analysis of the gifts of the Spirit, a topical study, if you will, also, that under the Old Testament, Everything was lumped together as prophecy. In the New Testament, God distinguishes. And he says, let's focus in a little closer. Let's microscopically analyze it and see, really, there's three things that come forth out of what the Old Testament called prophecy. I hope you catch that. So the Old Testament prophecy was used to foretell future events. That's the New Testament word of wisdom. It was used to give judgment and blessing. That would be prophecy under the New Testament, edification, exhortation, and comfort. It was used to give directions or instructions. That might also be a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. Or to reveal hidden things. That's a word of wisdom. There also in there might be an operation of special faith in the New Testament. To pronounce a blessing, which the Old Testament would have called prophecy, is really the New Testament understanding the gift of special faith. If we're confusing you, get the CD, listen to it a dozen times, and study all the lessons together. You'll start to see it. This is why we study the Bible. 
Here's some examples of Old Testament prophecy. Balaam prophesied about the Lord Jesus Christ. Future event. The star out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. That's a reference to Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Samuel prophesied directions, instructions, and the location of lost livestock to young Saul. That is prophecy under the Old Testament. Samuel was a prophet. Balaam was a prophet. So what they did by default was prophesy. They spoke under inspiration, but that inspiration in the New Testament is distinguished and further categorized. Elijah prophesied that dogs would lick up King Ahab's blood. That's foretelling or prophesying a future event. Elijah the prophet. Micaiah prophesied evil tidings and judgment over King Ahab. He even saw the Lord conspiring against King Ahab for his wickedness. Now when Micaiah saw the demon spirit come before the Lord and the Lord say, go and be a lying spirit in the mouths of all of his prophets, that's the gift of the spirit called discerning of spirits. But when he speaks that forth, that's word of knowledge and word of wisdom. Again, and we hope we're not confusing you, but these are the gifts of the Spirit. We study to show ourselves approved. This is why we can't be like some folks and say, well, we don't speak of things we know nothing of. Well, there might be a little bit of wisdom to not talking about what you know nothing about, but wisdom would also say, go learn something about it. Why, Why dwell in ignorance much longer? Jehu prophesied that the wrath of God had come upon King Jehoshaphat for helping the ungodly and for loving those that hate God. That was a prophecy. That was a judgment. It was declared forth by the mouth of the prophets. Uh, the, The minor prophet said, God does nothing except he first reveal it to his servants, the prophets. God reveals what he's going to do to his servants, the prophets, so they can declare it forth because God does nothing without first declaring he's going to do it. That's why it's so critical we come to church so we know what God's going to do. He's going to declare it to his prophets, his pastors, his evangelists, those that are mouthpieces and spokespersons to the body of Christ. He'll reveal things to you at home in private, but I'm reminded of the New Testament when Agabus the prophet came down to a church service and he prophesied about a coming dearth in the land. Well, if you skip church, you didn't catch that. If you skip service, you didn't get to hear the word of the Lord preparing the church for a coming famine that they could then prepare for. You might have caught it in the notes after the fact, and I'm sure they talked about it, but boy, you missed the preparation. You missed the grace that was expounded upon and deposited with that live prophecy. It just goes to show us we don't want to miss what God does in services because you just never know what it's going to be. And uh, when you're hungry for God, you're afraid to miss out. You can't wait to be there. Amen. Eliezer prophesied against King Jehoshaphat for joining himself with another wicked king of Israel, Ahaziah. God broke the works of Jehoshaphat. So we see these prophets prophesying. And what are they prophesying? They're foretelling future events. They're including judgment and blessing. They're prophesying directions or instructions. And they're revealing hidden things. Now keep in mind, these are Old Testament prophets. And we can't look at New Testament prophets and expect them to behave the same way because we have been illuminated further in the New Testament. We have a more sure word of prophecy in the New Testament. We have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We have the Holy Spirit, whereas in the Old Testament, only the prophet, priest, and king had the Holy Spirit. Be careful your life is not steered by New Testament prophets. That would be improper. That would be unlawful. 
New Testament prophets don't have the same role as the Old Testament prophets. And any New Testament prophet that claims they do, they do is deceived and ignorant and need to spend more time in the Word and probably less time following goofy prophets that write books a dime a dozen. Anybody can publish a book today. doesn't mean you should read it. David prophesied about Jesus Christ many times. It says in Psalms and Acts that Christ would not be left in hell. Psalm 22, he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Psalm twenty-two, sixteen says, They have pierced my hands and feet. Psalm twenty-two, eighteen says, They cast lots for his clothing. These are prophecies of the psalmist talking about what was to come. The New Testament further delineates that as a word of wisdom. What is to come in the future mind of God. Isaiah prophesied about Christ bearing our sickness and disease and being whipped in order to heal us. Jeremiah prophesied judgment upon Israel and that judgment could not be stopped. Here's what we need to understand. And we've, I've reiterated it several times now. Old Testament prophecy contained elements of four of the gifts of the Spirit that we understand in the New Testament. Old Testament prophecy included prophecy, New Testament prophecy, that is edification, exhortation, and comfort. It included word of knowledge, it included word of wisdom, and it included discerning of spirits. Again, I'm a broken record here, but bear with me. What this shows us is that in the New Testament, God brings forth more understanding to his people. You and I know more about God. Doesn't mean we know God better, but we know more about God now than the Old Testament believers did because God has revealed it to us. Or I should say we have the ability and the potential to know more about God because we have more word to study. And so what was lumped under the title of prophecy in the Old Testament comes along in the New Testament and God further distinguishes it for our understanding and our uh, ability to cooperate with the Spirit of God. Amen. It's just kind of like if you understand how physics works, you can use a hammer better. I, I uh, was a judo competitor for a couple years, years ago. And uh, when you understand the physics of judo, judo is all about throwing people. It's all about takedowns and, and a lot of cool body mechanics. When you understand physics and you understand mechanics and you understand how judo throws work in the art of judo, you can work it a lot better. Same with our understanding on the gifts of the Spirit. So let's compare that now to New Testament prophecy. And again, I, I've been part of charismania Crazy Matica, whatever you want to call Pentecostalism in the last 30 years. I've been a part of this for 20 years now, and I see a lot of error in the gifts of the Spirit by zealous Christians. The greatest place we miss it is not discerning the Word of God, not properly dividing it, not rightly dividing the Word of God. And so we try to operate as prophets, Old Testament prophets under the New Testament, and it just doesn't work that way. The last Old Testament prophet was Jesus Christ, and he said, it is finished. And then he gave birth to the church, and when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. Now we have New Testament apostles. We have New Testament prophets. We have New Testament evangelists. We have New Testament pastors, and we have New Testament teachers. We have to bring all this over into the New Testament and allow Lord, the Lord to further focus our understanding. New Testament prophecy is quite different in purpose, and that might be worth underlining. It's different in purpose from Old Testament prophecy. New Testament prophecy has been described as the simple gift of prophecy. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, 3 and 4b. 
But he that prophesies speaks unto men, not direction, not instruction, not correction, not what to do five days from now. That is not New Testament prophecy. That might be a word of knowledge, that might be a word of wisdom, or it might be error. (laughs) I like what my friend Pastor Mike said. It doesn't make any sense that in the New Testament, God would cause the Holy Spirit to dwell in every one of us. He would cause every New Testament believer to possess a Bible. He would give every New Testament believer the opportunity to attend a church. He would give every New Testament believer the opportunity to know God intimately on a one-on-one basis and then expect us to get directions from a prophet or from a prophecy. That, that's just error. But that's also about 30 years of goofy Christian television and a bunch of familiar spirits. So listen to me very clearly as your pastor. Do not go to people for direction from the ethereal spirit realm. Go to Jesus Christ yourself in prayer. Open up your Bible and receive a more sure word of prophecy and be led forth by peace, as Isaiah 55 says. But some of us, we're looking for nothing more than fortune-telling soothsayers and we go to people we think are prophets and maybe they aren't. So let me be really clear and reiterate this again. New Testament prophecy is different in purpose than Old Testament prophecy. And the New Testament tells us this. He that prophesies in the New Testament does three things and three things only. Not according to Christian television, but according to the Bible. Not according to your favorite goofy prophet that tattoos and pierces himself and can't keep his flesh under control. But according to the New Testament... New Testament prophecy does three things. It speaks edification, it speaks exhortation, and it brings comfort. If it's not doing those three things, it's not New Testament prophecy. It might be a familiar spirit. He that prophesies builds up the church. It doesn't get people alone in a car somewhere. It doesn't get people alone in the back alley somewhere. It doesn't get people alone in the parking lot somewhere. It edifies the church. The simple gift of prophecy is a divinely inspired utterance that speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort. New Testament prophecy does not predict anything. That's a different gift. Remember, the nine gifts of the Spirit are unique and distinct. Otherwise, why would he divide them up and give them different names? It does not curse or doom anything. New Testament prophecy does not reveal any hidden facts. New Testament prophecy is spoken to believers and to the church to build up, improve, comfort, encourage, and console. A lot of folks run around and call themselves prophets, but I don't see them doing any consoling. I don't really see them doing any encouraging or comforting. I see them getting really dark and, and, and deep and, and almost introverted and almost mystical. Be very careful. The, the mystics of the church age were mostly demonized. And there is a current resurgence of what's called the new mysticism. And this refers a lot to the monks and and the uh, monastic and the cloistered hermitages of the Palestinian Middle East when the Catholics exploded and folks would go off and starve themselves and live the life of an ascetic, all in the effort to hear solitude and hear silence that they may touch the divine being. That was called Christian mysticism, and I flat guarantee there's a lot of demons involved in it. We're not mystics. 
We're born-again believers. We're of the army of the living God. We're of the body of Christ and of the body of believers in the company of the church, of the saints of God. We're not mystics. <laughs> I've often noted that New Testament mystics often have the worst families. Uh, I'm sorry, mystic. If you can't lead your family, you're not going to lead me. Amen. Preaching pretty good, seeing as how this was recorded like a good four or five days before anybody ever got to watch it. <laughs> ah, New Testament prophecy is spoken to believers and to the church to build up and prove comfort, encourage, and console. We are commanded to covet to prophesy. Every one of us can do it. Every one of us. The manifestation of prophecy in your life can help make you a great Christian. Why? Because it allows you to be a great edifying power of encouragement to the local church. And every church needs those in church that will edify those. You don't have to come up and say, I'm prophesying to you. But if you say, you're going to make it, that's the simple gift of prophecy. You know, I was praying for you, and I just want you to know, not the Lord told me. That gets spooky, mystical, and controlling. I was praying for you, and this is what I was praying for you according to the Bible, that your faith fail not that you'd rise up with eagle's wings, that you'd built up, be built up with all might in your inner man. And you know what? I believe everything I prayed for you, sister or brother, and you're going to make it. I love you. Now let's go worship God together. That's not pulling anybody to you. That's encouraging somebody. We've got to be very careful of this kind of spirit of Jezebel and this spirit of mystical control. I rebuke it out of my church. I will not tolerate it. Any charismatic church has to fight that goofiness. Amen. Do you know you're supposed to have a, a pastor to lead the local flock, not a prophet? A pastor leads the sheep, not prophecy. A pastor teaching and feeding and carrying the flock, taking them in a circuit like they did in the natural allegory to feed on this topic, then feed on that topic, then feed in that prayer meeting, then feed in that healing meeting, then feed in that worship meeting. You don't need a prophet. Prophet, yeah. I'm going to have to write a, a curriculum on the New Testament offices because it's evident we've lost that again. So let's look at diverse kinds of tongues. I cleared that up enough and I'm running out of time. Diverse kinds of tongues. Uh, diverse kinds of tongues. This is our second of the vocal gifts. This is a divine utterance whereby the Holy Spirit manifests upon a believer to deliver a message in a tongue unknown to the messenger and generally unknown to most present. We say generally because it almost always happens if you're giving a tongue, which will be followed by an interpretation, though most people there won't understand the tongue, which is why you have to give the interpretation, somebody there might, and it'll be a sign and a wonder to them. I've heard many stories, even seen it in some of our services, where a tongue is given forth. And I don't have a clue, or the pastor didn't have a clue what the tongue was, but a guest did. Somebody present who happened to speak that language, uh, understood perfectly in their own natural understanding what the pastor was praying or the preacher was saying in a tongue unknown to them. I got stories, my pastor Darren prayed in Russian one time and a visitor happened to speak Russian. And the visitor said, I didn't realize your pastor spoke Russian. And our church member said, my pastor doesn't speak Russian. Well, sure he does, he's speaking Russian. Well, what's he saying in Russian? They said, uh... He's just really telling God how awesome he is. He's just glorifying God. A couple, within the last year, I was praying in tongues, transitioning the service, and uh, we had Pastor Titus Marefu 
from Zimbabwe with us, and he speaks several African dialects, and he got, came up, and just in his own natural understanding, he interpreted what I was praying in the Spirit, and he said, you said these words, and they were Zulu, and you said these words, and they were Shona, and I had prayed languages that he was familiar with, and no doubt God did that as a sign and a wonder. In fact, somebody in that service, their heart had gotten a little stubborn with God, and they were saying, God, I don't believe this is real. But uh, what is he saying? I want to know what he's saying. I want to know what that pastor, what Pastor Chris is praying in tongues. And then we turn the service over to Pastor Titus. He gets up and says, I understood what you were saying in tongues because you were speaking in several of my languages. And that ended up being a sign and a wonder to someone whose heart was a little calloused or maybe tough. I think that's so cool that God would do that. Tongues and interpretation of tongues are the only gifts of the Spirit that cannot be found manifesting anywhere in the entire Old Testament. That means that tongues and interpretation of tongues is strictly a church-age gift given only to those who have been born again. So the Old Testament prophets and the Old Testament uh, kings and priests and believers, Abraham could never speak in tongues. Isaac could never speak in tongues. Joshua, King David, Gideon, whoever your Old Testament hero is, Deborah, Ruth, none of those could ever speak in tongues. But here in the New Testament, because it is strictly a New Testament gift, we get to do it. And it's so cool. The gifts of tongue, uh, the gift of tongues was foretold by Isaiah the prophet. Uh, Isaiah 28 was quoted in 1 Corinthians 14, 21, in the law it is written, with men of other tongues and of other lips will I speak unto this people. Now Paul is quoting Isaiah in reference to tongues, so we know that that, that scripture that Isaiah prophesied is in reference to tongues. Paul tells us that. You don't have to wonder, well, I don't agree. I don't think that, that Isaiah prophecy in Isaiah 28, I don't believe that refers to tongues. Paul said it does, so guess what it does? <laughs> That's called the law of hermeneutics, the in, using scriptures to interpret themselves. He says, with men of other tongues and of other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Isaiah 20, 11 and 12 says, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, to whom he said, this is the rest. Notice, speaking in tongues produces rest. God said so in the Old Testament. This is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. Doesn't that sound like modern America church? Isaiah could see that praying in tongues would bring rest and minister rest. And yet people won't hear it. People, people just won't hear tongues. They've been taught it's of the devil. Uh, I, I was told to my face if I spoke in tongues, I had a demon. And I remember thinking, I've never won more people to Jesus since I got spirit-filled. I've never read the Bible more since I started speaking in tongues. I've never been cleaner or had more victory over sin. And you want to tell me this is all the work of a demon? Or maybe what you mean to say is you're doctrinally set on your religious ways and you can't explain it, so therefore you have to outlaw it. Maybe that's more accurate. Isaiah talked about it. Uh, what is that? Isaiah was 100 years before Jeremiah's doom. Jeremiah was 70 years before captivity. After captivity of 70 years, about 480 years until Christ came. So what is that? A 480 plus 100 is 580 plus 70 is about five, say 660. So about six, we'll say six to 700 years before Christ, Isaiah's talking about tongues. I love it. God bless us 
and give us the Holy Ghost in a greater measure. We understand that the gift of tongues is different. Now listen carefully on this. We understand that the gift of tongues is different from the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which also includes tongues. So what we're saying very clearly is there's two types of tongues. All right? One tongues is the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost based on the pattern that we see over and over again in the book of Acts. And the other gift of tongues is one of the nine manifestations or gifts of the Spirit that requires and must have an interpretation. And just like we can't turn prophecy on or off, just like we can't turn discerning of spirits on or off, just like we can't turn working of miracles on or off, we can't turn the gift of tongues on or off, the tongues that edifies the church that requires a supernatural interpretation. But because we can study these two phenomena of tongues in the scriptures, we can certainly shake it out and realize there's a distinct difference between the two. Now, we've written an eight-lesson curriculum explaining this that we don't have time to cover here, but it's available on podschool.org or at the book table. So I don't have time to cover that, but this is what we understand. This is what we've proven very soundly with Scripture. There's over 100 verses in passages that deal with the gift of tongues. When you have over 100 verses dealing with tongues and the interpretation of tongues, you can have a really good understanding of what's going on. Paul even makes a distinction between praying in tongues and speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues, and though we, we don't, we just use the two interchangeably. Paul did make a difference in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, speaking in tongues requires the interpretation. Praying in tongues is what you and I do for our personal edification. So let's look at some things here about tongues. We got a couple bullet points here. Every reference to tongues in the book of Acts is in reference to the initial infilling of the believer. How do we know that? Because there's not a single interpretation of tongues in the entire book of Acts. No reference to tongues as used in, ch in a church service is made in the book of Acts. And again, see our curriculum on the gift of tongues available at podschool.org or just at the book table for eight lessons that further explain and define this. In the book of Acts, you have Acts chapter 2, they speak in tongues. Acts chapter 8, the gift of the Holy Ghost is evident, Simon the sorcerer wants it. We assume very soundly and safely that's the gift of tongues, no interpretation. Acts chapter 10, tongues, no interpretation. Acts chapter 19, tongues, no interpretation. Those are all the initial infilling of the Holy Ghost led by the apostles who have the sound doctrine of the New Testament church and yet there's no interpretation ever given. And from some of those evidences, along with many others, we understand that the book of Acts shows us the tongues, that's the infilling, that's for the personal edification, that's for the personal rest and relaxation of the believer, but no interpretation is given. Therefore, it's not the gift of the Spirit, tongues, which requires an interpretation. Hopefully that makes sense to you. Tongues is always evident and demonstrated when a believer received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Always evident. Point number three, never is an interpretation given in the book of Acts, nor is there ever mention made to the presence of even an interpreter. Now, an interpreter is not one who speaks a thousand different languages, but an interpreter is one who has the Holy Spirit manifesting upon them in that service to give the interpretation of tongues that was given. 
All right? So that being said, now those three bullet points, we take eight lessons to sum up in our other curriculum, the gift of tongues. So that's not the tongues we're talking about. What we're talking about are these next bullet points. General rules for tongues in a church service. All right, here's a couple observations from the Bible concerning this gift of tongues. There are tongues of men and tongues of angels. So two flavors of tongues. That means there's languages that if you spoke in tongues, somebody present would probably understand it because of uh, education or lifestyle or where they live. But then there's the tongues of angels that nobody's going to understand because apparently it's the angelic language that angels speak in. If humans have languages, why don't angels? There should be no more than three utterances in a service. This makes total sense. I have navigated enough services where the gifts of the Spirit were in operation to know that if the Holy Spirit can't say it with three tongues and three interpretations, it's not going to get said. I have also uh, been allowed to, in a sense, experiment where we have four or five utterances, and you can sit and hold those four or five utterances and realize two of them were inspired and three were not, or three were inspired and that last one was just way out of left field. You'll find that when there's divine utterances coming forth by the gifts of the Spirit, they're going to be right in line with the service, right in line with the worship theme, right in line with the preaching theme. It's all going to flow together and weave this wonderful river. You can tell it's not accurate when the river of the service is flowing this way and somebody gets up and has a divine utterance and it's a river way over here going in a different direction. (laughs) That makes no sense. But no more than three utterances by the gifts of the Spirit are needed or necessary in a service. Paul said so, and we've walked it out enough to say, yeah, that bears witness. You can feel it in the Spirit. You can sense it. If no one present is apt to interpret, you should remain silent. That is, if nobody present can have the interpretation or is given over to the interpretation, just sit on it. The Bible says the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. Next, that's our next point. Your spirit is subject to you. You don't have to manifest. A lot of folks say, I just couldn't keep it in me. That's a lie. You can keep it in you. Your spirit is subject to you. You don't have to give what you have. Yes, it may be like fire shut up in your bones, but sometimes folks mistake a flamethrower for God and they just want to open their mouth and burn everybody or show off how spiritual they think they are. Our spirit is subject to us. We can quench the Holy Spirit if we want to. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. You don't have to give everything you know. And I've learned that if you share everything the Lord shares with you, He's probably going to stop sharing so much with you. Sometimes it's best just to sit on it and pray about it and be convinced and know that you know that you know that it's time to share something. All things should be done decently and in order. And so that means you you don't grab the microphone, but that you raise your hand and you wait for the appropriate time to give the tongue followed up by an interpretation. Tongues without the interpretation does not edify those present in a church service, though it will still edify you as an individual. And that's what Paul said. If there be no interpreter, let them keep silent in the church, but... Let them speak to themselves, speak, speak, speak. That means there's a voice coming out, not think. Let them speak to themselves and to God. So there is still room for tongues in a service without the interpretation. You just don't stand up in the service to draw the service to you. Amen. 
forbid not to speak with tongues. So that sums it up pretty good there too. We don't forbid. We, we learn from this thing. What tongues with interpretation will bring forth to a service? And again, uh, th- there's a lot more to this than we have time to cover. And you honestly could teach a whole series as we've proven we taught eight lessons maybe nine on the gift of tongues and this this all this stuff was covered in eight or nine fleshed out lessons here we're covering it in a third of a lesson so with the interpretation of tongues here's what it'll do in a service it will edify the church it will build the church up it will bring forth revelation tongues will always bring forth it will reveal something it will bring forth knowledge Something new will be distributed and people will learn something. We were in South Africa. This is one of my favorite tongues and interpretation of tongue stories. We were in South Africa, I guess it was 2008, in a, in a tent meeting with Pastor Casey Naidu among the Indian people. And uh, Brother Robert had the service and he's quite the evangelist. And uh, he, uh, he had uh, people lined up uh, and they had been spirit filled, 13 of them as I recall. And he didn't lay hands on any of them. He said, hold hands, I'm going to pray for you. You're going to speak in tongues. And it happened. I think 11 out of 13 got spirit-filled like that. And then the other two just took a little bit more time, as I recall. And then Brother Robert said this. He said, now I'm about to give you a tongues. And my pastor's going to interpret it. And I remember standing by his wife, the lovely Miss Angie. And I had no idea I was going to interpret the tongue. I had no idea Robert was going to give the tongue. I look over at Angie, and she's just as horrified as I am. And so to make a joke, I look at her, and I say, I guess I'm about to interpret a tongue. News to me. And so Robert gives a tongue, and then he hands me the mic. And, you know, you got maybe 200 folks looking at you under this tent meeting. So I, I grab the microphone, and I say in my heart, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit of God came upon me, and I had the interpretation for his tongues. And it was a message, it was, it was a, a revelation, it was a knowledge for the people that had just gotten spirit-filled, but it also illuminated my understanding. And as I began to give the interpretation, which is actually the equivalent of prophecy, I began to edify these folks who had just been newly spirit-filled. And the thing I said, because I'd never seen it before, I exhorted them and edified them and encouraged them to pray in their new tongues, this new language they've been given, because in doing so, they would make intercession for themselves according to the will of God. And when I prophesied that or interpreted that, I saw it for the first time. I had never seen or been taught that praying in tongues was self-intercession. And as I'm prophesying it, I'm saying, Lord, you better give me scripture for that. And then he shows me Romans chapter 8. And I said, wow. And so it was a knowledge that was brought forth. I'd never known that, never seen it. Now it's part of the curriculum we write, and it's one of my favorite things to teach, that we're so messed up, according to Romans 8, we have to have the Holy Spirit groaning within us, according to the will of Jesus, who judges our heart and makes intercession for us according to the will of the Father. I got all of that through a tongue and interpretation in South Africa seven years ago. The Lord brought that thing forth through tongues and interpretation of tongues. (laughs) It was awesome. It is equal to prophecy. When you interpret a tongue, it's the equivalent of prophecy. It edifies, it exhorts, it encourages. It can bring forth doctrine. 
As 1 Corinthians 14, 6 says, and as I learned in South Africa, I prophesied forth doctrine, giving an interpretation to the tongue, and now we've worked it up in several curriculums, and I've taught it numerous times in seven years. Hallelujah, thank you for tongues and interpretation of tongues. Just think, we'd be ignorant in some aspects if we didn't believe in these gifts of the Spirit. Let's look now at this interpretation of tongues, though we've shown some of it. To interpret means to explain in words or to expound upon. So when we're talking about the interpretation of tongues, we're not talking about a word-for-word transliteration. We're not talking about uh, translating like someone would Japanese to English or English to Spanish. We're talking about explaining in words or expounding upon. And that's why sometimes somebody can give a tongues and it's short and the interpreter take five minutes to explain it because what is revealed so succinctly by the Spirit of God takes mankind twice as many or ten times as many words to understand. So the word interpret here that's used in the Greek tells us specifically to explain our words or to expound upon. With the interpretation of tongues, the resulting vocal message will be the equivalent of prophecy. The combination of tongues with interpretation of tongues will edify, exhort, and comfort. And we are to pray that we can interpret. Pray that you can interpret your own tongues. Pray that you understand what you're saying. Uh, we're often uh, criticized by the ignorant. Well, that pastor prays in tongues a lot. And uh, I never hear an interpretation. Well, I sometimes stop and point out, what makes you think that the sermon I'm about to preach isn't the interpretation? And though I only prayed in tongues for five minutes, it takes me 55 minutes to expound upon what I understood I prayed in tongues. Just because we don't make a big Pentecostal show out of it doesn't mean we're not operating in line with God's word. Many times at the end of a service, I'll say, let's bow our heads and pray in the spirit so to figure out what the Lord wants to do. And I'll pray in tongues and I will see what needs to be said or done. And though I only prayed in tongues for maybe 25 or 30 seconds, it takes me another 10 minutes to close the service. Maybe I'm giving the interpretation. I'm not just saying, Dun, da, da, da. Thus cometh the interpretation. Hear ye the word of the Lord. And there's nothing wrong with doing that, but it doesn't have to be so pronounced. On top of that, I find that those that are often the most critical are the least experienced in it. It's like sitting there criticizing somebody for doing something you've never done before, demanding and insisting that they're doing it wrong. How many times have you done this? Well, I've never done it. I just read a book about it once. Well, then you're unlearned and ignorant. Please hold your peace until you have some experience. I've been doing this for 20 years. <laughs> we wouldn't tolerate it in the natural realm. What makes us think we're experts in the spirit realm? All right, 1 Corinthians 14, 28. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Tongues must be interpreted when the tongue given is intended to edify the church. And you have to be able to discern the spirit of that. Is this tongue for personal edification or is this a tongue that is a special supernatural message for the congregation? If this tongue is a special supernatural message for the congregation, it must be interpreted. If this tongue, on the other hand, is me 
trying to find out what to do next for the service, then as the kids say, it's an A-B conversations. Please see your way out of it. Furthermore, 1 Corinthians 14 says, If a man speaks in an unknown tongue, he speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understands him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. There is a difference between tongues for the individual and tongues for the church. When there is no interpreter, we are commanded to keep silent in the church. Otherwise, we'd be out of service, uh, out of order. Or, and by church, it means the order of service. Yet we are still to speak to ourselves and to God. Now, maybe this helps further drive home the point. Let's say we have a Hispanic fellow come to church, and we're all praying in English. And maybe they understand English, but they still pray to God in Spanish. If they're back there praying to God in Spanish, and we're praying in English, that's not out of order, though we don't understand them. They're just praying to God in Spanish, which to most of us is a tongue. It's unknown. And yet we hear it, our mind registers, hey, that's a tongue, that's Spanish. But that's Spanish, he's just talking to God. None of my business. Father, I thank you for helping us. Lord, help us tonight. And you go on praying with God, or praying to God with your own understanding. There's no difference between that and a whole congregation praying in the Spirit. They're talking to God, speaking mysteries, it's none of your business. Leave it alone. But now if our Señor gets up and shares with us, and he says, Hola, amigos. Gloria a Dios. Well, now he's got a direct message in the order of service, and yet nobody's edified because we don't have a clue what he's saying in Espanolo. Now we need an interpretation. Hopefully that makes it more clear for you. We are still permitted to speak to ourselves and to God. 1 Corinthians 14, 13, because we're done now. We're out of time. Therefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. Uh, we need to pray for interpretation. God wants to reveal a lot of what you pray in the Spirit over yourself to you, but not, maybe not everything, because some of it might terrify you just where you're at today. But now if we're given over to tongues in a service, in the order of service, in an upfront capacity, the Bible tells us we ought to pray for the interpretation, that we might give the interpretation and edify and build the local congregation. Along the way in these lessons, we have other scriptures that are worth studying. These uh, lessons are packed full of scriptures that you ought to study and know. So this concludes our second lesson now on the gifts of the Spirit and what is commonly called uh, the vocal gifts. I do not expect you to have caught all of this if this is your first time hearing it, but you ought to certainly listen to this over and over again so you get a good working understanding of how all this works together. Let me pray and bless us. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would help our understanding. I pray for those that listen to these podcasts in the future and these pod schools. I pray for the Sunday school class that has just received this via television. Father, I thank you for illuminating our understanding. We thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit that we may be profited. Thank you for the gifts and manifestations of the Spirit that benefit our life. May they increase in our services. May they increase in our personal life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.